verse 1, we see this, deliver the birth and the, the uh, beginning of deliverance of Egypt, or the, of, of Israel from Egypt. It says, there went a man of the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. The reason she's hiding him is because Pharaoh had a decree that every child that was born of the Hebrew people or of the, the Israelites had to be put to death. And so she sees this baby that had been born. She hides him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him out into an ark, built this little uh, capsule that she placed the baby into. It would float. She pushes it out into the bulrushes. She had coated this with slime, with pitch, and she put the child in it. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. So she's, so the sister, the, the, the daughter, the older daughter of this woman goes and is watching out over the child as she sets him out into the Nile River. It says, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? Well, again, just look at what God is able to do with uh, in, in the midst of the persecution. He's still able to to uh, have this this child that we're going to see. It says here, the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the child away, nurse it for me, and I will give you wages. This woman, Moses's mother, ends up being able to take care of her child and being paid to take care of her own child because she followed whatever God was prompting her to do to take her child down to the river and is found by Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter has compassion on this little baby and says to the little girl who's standing there, yeah, go find somebody who can mother this child for me. I'm not able to feed it. And so she goes and she pays Moses' mother to be able to take care of her own son. And so the woman took the child, she nursed it, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him up out of the water. Moses meaning drawn out. And this is, this is the story, the beginning of the deliverance. Uh, probably one of the most captivating, most told stories of deliverance ever. This story of deliverance of the people of, of, of Israel from the land of Egypt. And... Moses, he grew up then in the, in the house of Pharaoh. He grew up in the, uh, in the household of Pharaoh. He had, he had a brother that would have been, you know, was going to be the next Pharaoh, a brother per se, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Um, her, her other son would have been uh, growing up, and, and he is eventually going to be the one that when Pharaoh comes back into Egypt, the brother that he grew up with, is now the Pharaoh at that point. And we're not quite there yet, but this is who he's growing up with in his, in his household. And so he's, he's growing there in the household of Pharaoh, and he does this 
until he is 40 years old. At 40 years of age, Moses, still understanding his, uh, who he is, his identity, he was raised in the household of his actual Hebrew mother, but yet also then grew up in the household of Pharaoh, and yet he had compassion for the people of, of Israel. He wasn't in bondage like they were, but then one day he sees one of these Egyptian taskmasters beating a, or beating a, a Hebrew slave, and, and Moses gets angry about it. He goes and he strikes that taskmaster in the head with something and, and ends up killing the, the Egyptian taskmaster. And so out of fear, Moses runs away. Leaves Egypt, leaves everything behind, and he goes out and he begins this brand new life out in the desert outside of, outside of Egypt. Okay? This is the story of the deliverer of Egypt. That he, he's grown up for 40 years, he then goes and he spends time another 40 years in this brand new life where he's found a wife, he's had some kids, and he's there now a shepherd on the backside of the wilderness, formerly grew up in the household of Pharaoh, and now a nobody. Maybe not a nobody, but he uh, certainly was not of the status that he did have. His new father-in-law did, uh, it, it does appear, was the was the leader of this this. Uh, group of people who he had gone into and found uh, found a new home outside of Egypt, but, but he's going and he's just tending the sheep. And one day as he's, as he's tending the sheep, all of a sudden he comes across this, he comes across this bush that's burning. We sang that song that was earlier, or sang that song, uh, the, the first song tonight. We are standing on holy ground, right? Love that song. And I don't know if, if Moses understood exactly if he could feel the presence of God when he first walked up to that bush. But there was something that truly caught his eye. It wasn't just a bush, but he says this is a bush that is not being consumed. It's burning in, in a flame, but it's not being consumed. And so it draws his attention as he's looking for this lost sheep. And he sees that. And then all of a sudden, he hears this voice. It says, Moses. You're standing on holy ground right now. Take your shoes off. Come to me. I've got something I'm calling you to. I have a new purpose, a new plan. This is Moses at 80 years old. 80 years old and God begins speaking to him and saying, all of your life I've been setting you up for this moment right here. I'm calling you to be the deliverer of Egypt. Or the, the, the deliverer to, to send uh, the, the Israelites, your people, out of Egypt, out of the bondage that they're in. I'm calling you to this purpose. And Moses, Moses, not having confidence in himself, says, God, I can't do it. God, I'm a murderer. I killed that Egyptian taskmaster. God, I'm a... I've left, I've left that Egypt stuff behind. I'm not a leader. I'm a shepherd. 
And I can't even, I can't speak. I, I have this speech impediment where I, I, I stumble over my words all the time and, and God says, you stop, stop worrying about that. Take what you have. And he, he shows him this, this stick. He says, look at the stick that's in your hand. Take that, take that stick, throw it down on the ground. He does it and all of a sudden that stick becomes a snake slithering around on the ground. I'm sure it probably jumped back a little bit. I don't know about you. I would have jumped back a bit if I would have seen that. I was just talking to, uh, just talking to some young boys, a friend of mine that has some boys that they just, they love catching frogs and turtles and snakes and all that. And I was asking them, how do you, how do you catch a snake? And, uh, they were, they were showing me how to do it. You put that stick on the, they said, you stab it with a stick. Hold its head down and then he grabbed down. So I don't know if Moses had another stick, but somehow, somehow he reached back down and he grabbed a hold of it and he, he picked it up and it became a stick again. And then he says, all right, see, just take what you have and I'll use that. Okay. Moses, go and pay, take your hand and he takes his hand and he sticks it into his coat and he pulls it out and it's leprous. That would have scared me a bit. God, what are you trying to do here? I thought you were calling me to go and to be the the leader. I thought you were calling me to be the deliverer. And yet, here I am. I have leprosy now. But God's showing him, hey, this isn't about you. It's about me. This isn't about the abilities and the, the things that you have to offer. Just take what you have. Allow me to use it. And I'm going to do great things. And that's what God is calling. Calling of Moses and asking of him. And he, he asks the same thing of us. He's saying, Okay, stop just just putting this off. Stop thinking that you can't do anything. Take what you have, give it to me, and allow me to use it for my glory. And so, uh, so God begins talking to Moses. He does say, uh, if you're afraid about this speech impediment, I'll give you your brother, your older brother Aaron. And Aaron can be your interpreter. And so he eventually, he, he goes back to Egypt. He finds his brother Aaron. And it's been 40 years since they've been together. I'm sure they had a... You know, a nice family reunion uh, there that day. And then they began talking about, okay, how is this going to play out? And so then they begin to hear the voice of God tell them what is, what's going to take place. And we know this story. I'm, I'm sure that you know it. This has been referenced a lot of times uh, over this past year. The plagues of Israel, or the plagues of, of Egypt. And, uh, and we... Uh, you know, felt like we had a plague and, you know, certainly was not a pleasant past year, but um, I'm also thankful that we didn't truly go through all these things that they went through. The ten plagues in Egypt, this is God's way of, um, of, of truly showing Egypt, all of Egypt and Pharaoh, who God is. That God is, is the supreme one. That God is the one that's in control. And he, he continues over these ten plagues. And we see these ten plagues that, uh, that are, um, in, that take place in Egypt. And, and each time Moses, he comes to, uh, he comes to Pharaoh and he says, God has called me here to, to tell you that, that you need to let us go. Let the people of Israel go from Egypt. Let them free from their bondage. Each time, Pharaoh would say, okay, 
I'll let you go for just a couple days. You can go, you can, you can worship, do whatever you need to do for a couple days. And then Moses comes back. No, this isn't about a couple days type of a thing. And so Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so we see the plague that comes in. The Nile rivers turn to blood. Again, this happens and, and, and a plague comes. The frogs cover the land. And again, the plagues, uh, a plague comes and we see lice or gnats that cover all the man, the men and the beasts, um, that are there. We see the next plague, the, the swarms of flies that infest all of Egypt. The livestock in Egypt that died. The painful boils that came upon, uh, upon man and beast. The heavy hail that, that came and it destroyed all of the crops and, and everything that, that they had that was growing there and, and it, it destroys all of it. Then the locusts come in. They, they eat all the remaining vegetation. Finally, you have the darkness that covers Egypt for three days. No one in Egypt. They didn't have electricity back then. I'm sure they had some candles that they're burning, but they had, it was dark. It was dark for three full days. Darkness covered the face of the earth. Death then to all the firstborn in Egypt. I, I said that this Bible study here tonight sets up so many different principles, so many things that we pull on to understand, uh, you know, where we're at today. And this right here, this 10th plague in, uh, that, that took place in Egypt is one that we need to focus on. We need to, you need to spend some time on this when, if you're teaching somebody a Bible study. Because this right here, I'll just, just set it up. We come to this, this moment. Where nine times Pharaoh has refused to let the people of God go. Finally, God instructs the Israelite people to take a lamb, go get a lamb, kill the lamb. This has got to be your best lamb. Take it, slaughter the lamb, take the blood from that lamb and spread it upon the doorposts of your house. Take the rest, take all the meat that was there. From that lamb, bring it into your house, bring, gather your family, uh, to, to the dinner table. Make sure that you've gathered all of your belongings. Don't, you, you need to be ready to go right now in, in this, this night. You have everything packed up, ready to go. Everything in your whole household ready. And so, uh, when you do that, then you're, then sit down, you're gonna eat a dinner. So you all eat this dinner together. And in the midst of them eating this dinner, it says that there was Death that passed over the land. All the land of Egypt, all the land even if, of, of where the Israelites were at, all of them, if they did not have the blood that was spread upon the doorpost, then that death angel that was passing over the land, it would come into that house and it would take the life of the firstborn. If they did have the blood that was applied to the doorpost, then that death angel would pass over their house and they would be saved from that. Well, even, even Pharaoh, this affected Pharaoh himself to the point where he was so grieved by the loss of his, his eldest child 
that he finally kicks them out. And, and all across the land, you have grieving, you know, and everywhere, every household has grieving to the point where they're, they're giving their, their, uh, their gold, their jewelry, they're giving away all these things and saying, get out, take whatever you want. We don't care. We don't want you here anymore. We are sick and tired of all these plagues. And now we're grieving our, our children here now. But this is the Passover. This is the, the thing that year after year after year, they celebrate and remember that night called the Passover. This night where, where this death angel had come through the land. And in effect, we've all heard of the, the Last Supper. We've all heard of this time where, where Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. And this was the Passover meal that they are partaking in. This is a meal that they are, that they are, uh, remembering this night right here up to the, all the way up to the point of Jesus. The Jews, they still, they still commemorate this night, this Passover night, the 10th plague with the Passover Seder meals. It's typically what you'll hear it, uh, described as today, but it's the Passover. They're, they're, uh, thinking about that Passover night, this night that, that the death angel passed over the houses, but not only did it pass over the houses, but it was the blood that set them free. It was the blood that was on the doorpost that allowed them to then finally get their deliverance. And we see them all exiting from Egypt, exiting from Egypt that night of the Passover because of what God had done for them. See, God, we see this, uh, this, this remnant of blood all through Scripture of how blood is needed for salvation. That blood is necessary for salvation. And so um, we've seen it all the way back to Adam and Eve um, where it was a covering for them. Where, where the a, a blood sacrifice, where we see Abel and, or Cain and Abel, where Cain offered up the fruits and Abel, uh, he offered up the, the blood sacrifice. God said, I, "I'll accept the blood sacrifice, not the fruits, the vegetables." We see this uh, going forward from here, and the other uh, sacrifices that are going to be made. That the sin sacrifices are uh, are going to be blood sacrifices, and it's the blood. That matters. It's the blood that saves. It's the blood. That's why Jesus Christ had to shed his blood on a cross for us. Because it's by the blood that was shed. An innocent blood that was shed that our sins could be taken away. So that night, that final plague, Pharaoh releases the Israelites from their bondage. And, and God leads them out of Egypt. And when they reach the Red Sea... They found that Pharaoh was sending soldiers to recapture them and the place, uh, this, this place, these slaves in this seemingly hopeless situation in which they're trapped here. You have Pharaoh's army behind them. You have the Red Sea in front of them. Once again, God demonstrates his power to deliver and he splits that Red Sea in two. That had to have been quite a night, right? Think, millions of people crossing through this Red Sea. And it says that they crossed over on dry ground. It wasn't just that the waters parted, but it, it wasn't this mucky ground that they're, they're walking across. They're getting their feet sunk in, you know, all the way down to the knee. You get the, all the, all the carts that are being, they're getting stuck. No, they came over on dry ground. 
And as soon as, as they had all crossed, all of a sudden God opens up this cloud that had been stopping that didn't allow the Egyptians to advance any further. And he lifts that cloud and then they come and they begin to come and then that dry ground begins to get some, get some muckiness to it. It starts. They, 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 their chariot wheels get stuck and they're there and, and now all of a sudden as that whole army is, is, is there in the midst of that Red Sea, the waters come crashing down and we see true deliverance now. In the eyes of the people who had been slaves, they see, all right, not only did God set me free and leave, leave uh, Egypt behind, but God has, he has buried my captors. Well, God has completely broken the bondage that I was in. And that's exactly what happens to us when God brings us out of bondage. It's not, there, there doesn't have to be any remnants of it. There, there, there doesn't have to be any kind of a remnant of the bondage that you are in when God sets you free. You can be completely set free, completely transformed. And that's exactly what we see again in the natural, something that happened in the natural. We, we can apply it spiritually for us today. That God completely, completely set, uh, set them free, uh, by, by not only bringing them out, but by destroying their captors. See, we, we, in reading this book, this second book of the Bible, it's the book of Exodus and, does anybody know what that word Exodus means? Coming out, going out. Yeah. To come out of, to exit. It's right in the word, to exit. It's the, it's the exiting or the, the coming out of, uh, of Egypt. And so God is, is using Moses to deliver the Israelites from the power of Egypt and he uses the blood and, and in the name of Jesus today can set us free the same way that they were set free. The name of Jesus sets us free. In fact, in John 8.32, John 8.32, it says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth in the life. The truth shall set you free. So what is the truth? It's probably better to say, who is the truth? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can, will set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, when you know it, can make you free. See, when studying the Bible, we learn that God is a deliverer. God is a deliverer. Not only was God a deliverer to those in the Old Testament era, but he also does the same thing. He did the same thing for them in the New Testament. He continues to do the same thing today. God delivers. God, I've seen it time after time after time of people who have been bound and they have been uh, struggling with some addiction or they've been struggling from something that they needed to be delivered from. Maybe it's just a jealous mindset. Come on, it's uh, maybe it's a it's pride. Maybe it's something that that when you look at them, you may not see it, but uh, but there's something inside the heart that they need delivered from. And God is a deliverer still today. It would be a great point if you're teaching this Bible study that you could just, just stop and just you can tell your deliverance story if you would want to. 
See, not only did God set Israel free, but he led them on this journey and he had a destination in mind for them. God wasn't just delivering them just to then say, all right, find your way. But no, he said, all right, here's the way. We're, we've got, we got somewhere where we're heading. In fact, in Exodus 13, 21, Exodus, Exodus 13, 21, it says that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. So when God sets people free from bondage, it's not so that they can go through the rest of their lives aimlessly. When God sets you free from bondage, he's not just trying to, to let you just go and try to figure out your own way. God is delivering you with a purpose in mind. Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Again, a foundational principle that's in this, in this Bible study is this part of the law and worship. See, once they come out of Egypt, God, he, he begins to lead Israel to the promised land. This is the destination that he had in mind for them. Um, but before they can inherit those promises, God first uh, had in mind that they needed to receive the law. They, need, they needed to receive some instruction on, on what godly, righteous living is all about. Because here they are. These, these are, I mean, still, they still have like a slavery mindset to them. These people had been generational slaves. And God had set them free from that. He had destroyed their captors. But, but they will we'll see it uh, often in, in, if you're reading, uh, reading the story of Israel after they're set free. They still want to go back into slavery often. And so God is, he's trying to say, hey, we're not living by Egypt's rules. We're not living by the world's rules anymore. I have my rules. And my rules are to set you free. My rules are to, to give you a complete freedom and access into my presence. And so God brings them to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And they've come here to Mount Sinai. And this is where he first spoke to Moses. This is the same place that, that he had first spoken to Moses. And, and again, he's going to speak to Moses here in the midst of all the people. And they're going to receive the, uh, receive the law of God. And now we think of, um, we think of the commandments. How many, how many commandments? Right? The Ten commandments. We think of the Ten commandments. That Moses, he did receive the Ten commandments when he was up there on Mount Sinai. There was a lot more than just Ten Commandments, though, that he received. It's not just those ten things that Moses received when he was up on that mountain. In fact, there were a total of, you might want to write this down, there were a total of 613 commandments given from God to the Israelites. That's in, that's in Scripture from what, from what we can see. There's 613 different commandments that God had had laid down, had, had explained to Moses, these are uh, commandments, I, I guess the ten, are, are the ten main commandments are um, included in that, but you have so many others. And, and when we look at all of these commandments, we can categorize them in these three different things. And you could, if you have a pen, you could pull it out. We have three different categories of laws that are given by God to his people. The first 
category of law that is given to, uh, to the people of God are ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws. These laws were laws uh, that were instruction for worship. They were instruction for sacrifice. These are, uh, these are things that are showing them, you know, how uh, we, we read about the offerings that are made uh, upon altars and, and all these different ways that they would come in and they would worship God. There were laws that said this is the right way to do it. This is the only way to do it. So they're ceremonial laws. And then you had, number two, civil laws. Civil laws were instruction for community living. It's not about how you worship God, but in order to live in, a, in this community, this community that is going to be a, a theocracy, a God, uh, God-centered community, this is, uh, these civil laws are what you're going to live by. And so they, um, these, these are such things as, um, as don't, uh, if, if somebody is, is in need, you're not allowed, they weren't allowed by the law of God to make, uh, or to loan them money and then make them pay interest. Okay? It wasn't about, Worship and sacrifice, but this is a civil law. They, they had laws that God was saying uh, that. They had the laws such as, if a stranger's coming into your land, invite them in, care for them. They had other civil laws, like, uh, if you, uh, if you find some, uh, some spot on your body that seems to be a ring, okay, go separate yourself, you go and show that to the priest, Okay, this is all about uh, health and safety and, and living, civil laws. He, was, he said they're, uh, they're going to try to keep this, the community safe. And so God laid out these laws for them. And this also would have included um, uh, the dietary laws that they had. Don't eat pork. Don't eat um, things that had a, a, a split hoof. Which that's, it, it doesn't actually say that it's uh, just just pork, but anything that has a split hoof, don't eat that. Don't eat a uh, something that uh, chews its, uh, maybe they can't eat something that chews its cud. Um, but they, uh, you know, they had, they had these different dietary laws that, uh, that they could not eat this, they were allowed to eat these things, and so uh, all of those fall within these civil laws, instructions for community living. And then the third category of laws are moral laws. Moral laws were instructions for internalizing godly attributes. Many of the Ten Commandments, in fact, all the Ten Commandments um, fit right into here in this, these moral laws. These are, these are laws that, uh, that they teach us to, to live and to model ourselves in the way that God has created us. We... We, uh, we are holy because God is holy. And He teaches us to be holy through, through His laws. And He, he t- it shows us this is, these are my attributes. And so you reflect my attributes in you. And there's laws, moral laws that God had for them, uh, to live by. And so we have those three different categories of laws. And why this is so important, the reason I want to, uh, just take, take that time 
to lay out those three different laws is because we don't still have 613 Old Testament laws that we have to live by today. Okay? The only laws that carry over into the New Testament era are the moral laws, that third category of laws. Those are the only ones that when we have the Old Testament, we see all these laws, all these principles, all these things that God said, you need to do this, don't do this, do this, do this, okay? We have to understand, are they, is this something about the way that they worshiped God? Because if it was, then we do that differently now. We live in a different time, in a different way of worship now. In the church age, we worship God differently. We don't have to offer up sacrifices of animals. Is it a dietary law? If it is, that's a civil law. We don't, we don't go and, and, and we're not bound by those civil laws. Okay? Jesus came to fulfill those laws. Jesus came to fulfill the ceremonial laws when he died for our sins. The civil laws, they no longer apply because as New Testament believers, we're not living in a single geographical location as the nation of Israel did. Those were for community living. So now, living in a different context, in a different, uh, in a different uh, dispensation, Jesus comes in, he fulfills these laws, but we still live under the moral laws. We still have moral laws that, uh, that we abide by today. You know, things, thou shalt not kill. That's a moral law. We still are bound by that principle. There's... There's many of the moral laws that, uh, that we can go through, but um, but those are those are the ones that Jesus did not. He, in fact, he said we can we can look at it in Matthew 22. Um, Jesus is saying, "Love your neighbor as yourself." He says, "You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind." Okay, these this is and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things. Those are what all of the law can be hung on, is those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So all the law can be hung on those two principles. And then we, uh, and within them, we have all these instructions for godly living. The final thing, the final area here is, is this concept of being called out. And how vital, how important this is for us to understand. Um, so far, so far tonight, we've learned about deliverance, that God delivered his people. He still delivers today. Okay. We've learned about the Passover, about how the blood is so important, about how the blood was needed. It was, um, it was necessary for their, their deliverance. It was necessary for salvation. We've learned about uh, exiting and how, how they came out of Egypt and and then um, we've learned about the the law and how we are not bound by certain laws of the Old Testament but yet some we are but this final thing I want to get into is the fact of being called out see God's law was given to show humanity just how far we fall short of, of living up to God's standard of life It, it reveals to us, you know, how perfect God is 
And in showing us all of that, God's objective was to pull us out of our sinful ways and to teach us to be, to be dependent on Him and His ability to lead us to salvation. That is really what the law was all about. It was about saying, there is a holy God, a perfect God, and here's the only way that you can get to this God is by following all 613 of these laws. And when you do that and you've lived perfectly, then you can be just like God. But, but yet they see that they, they don't measure up many times. But it's a process that God is trying to reveal to them. Hey, this isn't, you know, living for me is so completely different from living in the world. Being my people, okay, God was saying, when I've called you unto me, I expect something of you that is going to be very different from when you lived in the world. Very different from when you were in Egypt. It's going to be very different from all of that lifestyle that you had, the way that you uh, you could go and uh, and you just worshipped whatever gods that you wanted. You went and you lived whatever way that you wanted. And, and there may be even things that you don't understand why I'm asking you to do this. But I'm asking you to do it because I'm calling you out to be a different people. A separated people. Why? Because it's for my purpose. You are called unto me, God is saying. I'm calling you out. I, who brought you out of Egypt? I brought you out of Egypt. Okay? That's what God's saying. Who brought you out? That was me. Who was it that, that sent all these plagues? That was me. Who was it that did this? Okay, I'm calling you unto me. And now all of these things that I have are calling you out to be a very different type of people. It's this process that they're getting to, to, to understand that just how different God is calling them to be from the, the, from the rest of the world. So then we have this, this concept of holiness. And we perhaps you've heard that word and uh, and not known exactly what it means to be holy. But holy simply means to be separate, to be separated. For God, um, He is very different. He's very separated. He is he is perfect. He's whole. He is holy. Okay. For us to be holy means to be separated from sin, but then dedicated to God. It's really this two way thing. That we're separated from sin, separated from the world, and we're dedicated to God. We are holy unto God. We are called out people that are holy, and it's for God's purpose. Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17 uh, reflects that verse. It says, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And then again, just a couple of verses later in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, as we allow the spirit... Uh, of God to fill us, to guide our lives. God will do this amazing work within our hearts and he will make things new within us. 
God will make you holy. He will call you out to be a called out people, just like they were called out then. And they had very different, a different lifestyle. We today have a very different lifestyle that God is expecting us to live, that we should not look like, we should not talk like, we should not act like, we should not participate in the very same things that the world participates in or that you participated in before you came to God. This, this Bible study here is, is setting up all these principles of, of, of what it really means to be the people of God. And for them, it's, it's, it was different. They were being called uh, to live according to this law, these 613 laws. For us, it's not about those laws, but yet still the very principle of holiness and being called out is the same for us today because that falls within the moral laws of God. And we are to be holy as God is holy. We are to be called out. We are to be separated. Our past, your past does not have to define you. Your past should not define you. We, you know, we, can, we can come in. I think one of the, one of the dangers sometimes of a, uh, an emotional church, and I, and I love an emotional church, and I don't want to stop that at all, but one of the dangers is Sometimes we can come in and we can get all emotional in here and we feel justified in our sin. Because you feel, you know what, I, I still felt the move of God, the presence of God when I was in his presence. And you walk out and you say, all right, here I am still living in, in some way. And, and just because I felt it, I feel that I'm all right. That's not true. Okay, really, you need to allow the conviction to set in. When you get into God's presence, allow the conviction for whatever it is that's going on and allow that to begin to settle in your heart, settle in your, in your spirit. And then he will call you out from the way that you, from the lifestyle that you were living in, maybe that you are living in, and you can be a different called out holy people unto God. Amen. That's the, that's the end of our Bible study tonight. I, th- I think we have just a couple of minutes. I'm going to get into at least this very first question. It's a pretty simple question that I can answer. So it come in, came in a couple of weeks ago. And again, if you have any questions from tonight, you can write those down. We've handed out those, uh, those note cards. You can write those questions down, and I'm going to try to get to them throughout this Bible study. Um, I guess before I get into this, I, I just want to mention real quick, in the month of June... We're going to start something very different on Wednesday nights, and uh, we're going to start a uh, some some split sessions, and we're going to have different places throughout the church that that you can meet in, and uh, different areas that you can go to, and we're going to have uh, a group that'll be meeting right in here, um, and uh, participating in in a uh, uh, in, in one group, and I'm not going to reveal all the things. We'll, we'll kind of. Uh, roll this out here in the next couple of weeks, but starting in June, we'll have uh, some some places for our children. We'll have some places for uh, our youth, for marrieds. Uh, if you want to be involved in a in a marriage group, and then there's going to be another group that uh, anybody can be involved in, and it's going to be uh, just incredible. But looking forward to that. Um, again, it's going to be a little bit different, but that's going to start in the month of June. So, um, just wanted to mention that. This last or this, this first question of these uh, questions that rolled in a couple of weeks ago, is what is the difference between an apostle and a disciple? What's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? 
You know, those two terms uh, are described or can describe the same group of people. They are, at, you know, they describe the same group of people at times in Scripture. Um, but they do have a different meaning. In fact, I want to, uh, just to display that, is there a way, could we pull up uh, back there, could we pull up a Scripture, Luke six twelve? Would you be able to get that up on the screen? If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. You can flip to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. We're going to go to verse uh, 12 through 16. It says that it came to pass in those days that he went, this is speaking of Jesus, he went out into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. Verse 13, this is the one I really want to get to. Verse 13 says, uh, when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Next couple of verses, they start to name the twelve disciples, or the twelve, as we saw here, the twelve apostles. He named them, uh, chose, uh, called unto him disciples. He then also called them or named them apostles. So what's the difference? Okay, this, the same group of 12 people, they were both disciples and they were apostles. We see other people in Scripture that are mentioned as disciples. We see others that are mentioned as apostles. In fact, uh, in Hebrews, it even calls Jesus an apostle. It says he is the apostle um, of the Most High. And uh, so, what is the difference? The, uh, if we just simply look at the definition of the two terms, that word disciple means a learner, a pupil, or one who follows someone else's teaching. And so a, a disciple is somebody who is there. They're, they're teachable. They're a student. And that's what a disciple really is. It's somebody who is following after and able to uh, take on and learn from somebody as they, as they begin to reveal things to them. An apostle is a delegate, a messenger, or one who is sent forth with orders. So an apostle is somebody, uh, it's, it's one who has been sent. That's really the, the main concept of an apostle. It's, it's you've been sent out with a purpose, with a, with a cause. And so a disciple is one who's a, a learner. A, an apostle is somebody who has been sent. You're a messenger. And that's exactly what these, these men were. They were there to learn, but Jesus would also send them out. We see... Um, Today, usually when I think of an apostle, although it probably could could be defined in a uh, much broader context, but I think of missionaries um, in particular as as apostles, as definite modern day apostles, as they are going, they're sent out throughout the world. They go and they um, they establish these, um, you know, the, the name of Jesus in places all around the world. They're apostles, messengers, delegates who have been sent forth with orders. And they're not just orders from some man, but they're orders from Jesus Christ. So the difference is, um, uh, you know, that one is somebody who's learning. One is just someone who has been sent with, to preach the message of Jesus. And so hopefully that answers. I don't know who it was that asked that question, but hopefully they're here tonight and I gave them a little answer to it. Um, I might get just one more real quick. Real quick, one more. Um, and it is uh, just... And let me go to a different one. I know the person who asked that, and they're not here tonight, so I'm going to... Let's do this other one. Real quick, um, was it... 
They're not here either. <laughs> it's the same person who asked it. All right, maybe we'll just stop there tonight. Okay, I, I, I can do this one. I can do this one. No, this person uh, is, is here tonight, whoever asked this. Okay, why do you think that there are no prophetic books written by Elijah or Elisha? Good question. Why do you think there are no prophetic books written by Elijah or Elisha? Um, and I don't have a perfect answer to this. I don't, I don't know uh, exactly why. I've never had that question asked to me before. Um, but here's, here's what, when I um, thought about this, this question, just kind of what I came to is that their prophetic ministries, the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha, were focused on things that happened within their lifetime. And much of what they were doing and what their, their prophetic ministry, it was things that, um, you know, they would come to pass, like it's not going to rain for a certain amount of time, but then it was all within the, the lifetime of Elijah and Elisha when these things happened. And so uh, I don't know the, the exact reason of why they didn't, didn't write a book, uh, why God didn't inspire them to do so. Uh, they didn't. Um, they're included in the books of history. But uh, we have their, their uh, accounts of prophecy that are laid out there for us. They themselves did not write any books. I will just say that uh, Elisha, uh, Elijah and Elisha both worked within the school of the prophets. That was one thing that they uh, were heavily involved in. That was something that was established by Samuel. And they had these different schools in places like Bethel, um, which that one is founded by Elijah. Uh, Ramah, which is uh, where Samuel, that was his home base, was in Ramah. You had Jericho, had a... Um, had a school of the prophets. There's likely many other uh, different schools of the prophets. And this is kind of the circuit we see many times when they were moving around. Uh, they were visiting these different schools of the prophets and just kind of training other people. Kind of like Bible schools today. Just training people um, in the ways of God. And so uh, I just thought that was kind of an interesting question. But I don't know I have the perfect answer to it. But that's um, you know, kind of what I, I would think perhaps it was. All the prophecy was focused on their, their lifetime. So. Uh, hopefully this answers some of these questions. If you have anything else that, uh, that is just burning in your heart you want to ask, uh, I don't promise that I'm going to have the perfect answer to them, but we'd love to be able to uh, maybe open up a conversation about the things that you've been wondering about. Amen. God bless you tonight. You, uh, you're dismissed, and uh, we will see you Sunday. Looking forward to a great service, great Mother's Day here on Sunday. Amen. Please bring your mother. <laughs>